And boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winter, and I'm here as always with the incomparable, incomparable Dr. Bear Paul Lando, the man in the high castle there in his alchemist lab. Uh, New look for you there today. Gets better every week. Actually, this isn't a real lab. It's a green screen. I think by now, everybody knows I live in your basement there. The deep fake technology has just gotten so easy. You just plug and play deep fake. You're, you're <laughs> actually, that's not even really you, what you look like. People have no idea. No. This is my double. They iced me a long time ago. <laughs> hey, it looks great. All those beakers and uh, doodads behind you. Uh, we'll have to do a show once this is all really cranking and bubbling and everything. What the heck you're, what you got there? My little lab of horrors. <laughs> oh man so today is going to be i was saying this may be our finest alpha cast of all time and i know that's a big statement but um i will say after last weekend my life is forever changed and i think we heard that a lot from a lot of the um folks that were able to come out to the workshop so um yeah i just a couple quick points here before we start bear um just a reminder music and sky uh we added larkin rose he's going to be a keynote speaker on friday night um still looking at a couple more surprise guests possibly but it is a pretty full stack lineup alex zek will be there uh bear he's going to be doing a talk on the science on what logic is and what actual science is it's going to be great for the homeschoolers and unschoolers there for their children to hear this on how to actually think and use logic so that's going to be a really good one. Dr. Edith, of course, will be there. Dr. Melissa Sell has been to every Music and Sky, um, so on and so on and so on. So musicandsky.com, check that out. Use alpha uh, the coupon code ALPHAVEDIC for 50 bucks off your ticket. And then I will be out in Miami uh, September 9th through 11th at ARIA uh, Leadership Conference. Excited there uh, to see Sayer G. Paul Check's involved with that Uh, uh David Avocado Wolf, of course, our friend Josh Del Sol, who was just here staying at our house with his beautiful daughter. Uh, we'll we'll touch on that today on his reactions to this workshop over the weekend. I think Alex Zek is coming out for that now. And if you're interested in uh, attending that, I'd love to see you there out there in Miami. Or if you want to just join in on the virtual um, uh, conference, you can go to alphavedic.com forward slash ARIA. And that's A-U-R-E. A. And I'm looking forward to some beach time there with some friends like Ayla Cuenca, who's actually coming out to Music in Sky, uh, Kelly Brogan. Uh, I want to connect with her. Uh, and we have so many friends out there in the Miami Beach area. So I'm very excited about that September 9th through 11th. And then, of course, we will be doing another workshop in the on the farm, a mushroom mycelium workshop there. Is that correct? Soon. That's right um we're going to hit mushrooms from the perspective of making them an integral part of your food forest wow i cannot wait for that because um my food forest loves the mycelium and that's really cool and that's one thing that i've had to still purchase a lot are mushrooms i'd rather not be purchasing mushrooms i'd rather be growing my own mushrooms so that'll be great we'll be announcing that to the co-op we aren't, so, uh, Mike. Mike, we aren't talking about those kinds of mushrooms. Oh, we're not. We're not going to be tripping out, uh, dancing around the fire. Okay. I know where you purchase your mushrooms. 
a shady uh, 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 table uh, on the side of the 199? <laughs> Actually, it's a cow pasture on the side of 199. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, well, let's get in it, into it today. Any, any other little notes before I do the introduction of what we'll be discussing today? No, go for it. Okay. And I do have my Browns gas machine, by the way, kicking back here. Shout out to George Wiseman. I know you have yours. I've been uh, actually really enjoying the Browns gas. And uh, we, will, we will have George Wiseman on AlphaCast in a month or so. So I just wanted to give George a, a shout out for sending that. Um, I've been really enjoying mine. Have you been enjoying yours, Bear? Yeah, amazing. I would say if uh, if I had to vacate and grab one thing out of my house, one prized possession, it would be that. And uh, George Wiseman is an amazing individual, brilliant scientist. He's got uh, a huge heart and he is putting out the best machines on the planet for a very reasonable price because he truly wants to help people. Beautiful, beautiful. I really look forward to that Alpha Cast because I think I know he's been on a lot of podcasts, Crow Triple Seven, and uh, been of course on one of my our favorites uh, with um, Greg and the Higher Side Chats. But I, I really want to touch, go deep into the physics and the sort of waveform side of what that machine's doing. So I think we can add a lot to that conversation. So that's going to be a great one. Look out, keep an eye out for that. Today, we are going to go into the solutions of all solutions, which is the I am. Uh, this was a, a very profound weekend for me last weekend with Marsha Ann. Um, we hosted the I am the living law worksheet, workshop retreat at the AV Gardens. Attendees, which included many notable influencers accomplished in fields ranging from alternative medicine, law, and natural science, all agreed that the impact from this event was a game changer. The magical setting made frequent river dips, forest walks, and tours through the AV permaculture farm available for needed assimilation, time for the dramatic consciousness shift experienced during class time. The Friday evening meet and greet began with renowned land patent and U.S. Constitution expert Ron Gibson entertaining a Q&A followed by an organic food buffet. The Saturday through Sunday sessions framed the curriculum within the Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars formula for global conquest to illustrate how we have had the power all along. This was by no means a mere legal-law paperwork tutorial, as all participants came to the realization that taking our world back is an inside job. Protecting our personal and financial affairs shouldn't be expensive or complicated, when one understands or understands the difference between private and public within the residence of I am. We're going to go deep into all of this. We'll go into the highlights of what the weekend entailed and present a synopsis of the would-be controller's blueprint, which is act in actuality our solution. Uh, this event, more to come, will be available in the membership section of our soon-to-be-released new Alphavedic website, uh, and uh, we will have a ton of content in there. Uh, we are very close to launching that, and uh, we editing all of this. We recorded the entire weekend. We're going to be converting those recordings into a sort of LMS type uh, situation, which just means a learning management system where you'll be able to walk, go through each module. We'll break up and uh, access all this information that we'll be kind of uh, going over today, but in a much more detailed way. Uh, you'll be taking lots of notes on that. And that will be available to everybody who comes into the new private platform. Berlando, take it away. How do we want to start today? 
Yeah, you know, we had, a, as you say, a lot of uh, illustrious um, uh, students here with us this weekend, all to listen to Marsha Ann and, and Mark, uh, uh, Ron Gibson. And, you know, I've been down that road as a lot of the people that attended have as far as doing all the paperwork uh, workshops, uh, you know, listening to all the gurus, people selling their different wares as far as, you know, what it takes to be free in this world, how to interface with the so-called public. Um, I was about to say the beast, but uh, Marsha admonished me for calling it the beast. Although, I yes, and I look for, I actually <laughs> very much look forward to um, diving into that exactly and why that is, because that was one of the little profound moments I had during the weekend, but please continue. Exactly. But having gone through the paper trail for many, actually decades, Uh-oh, did we have a bear? Bear, you froze up at paper trail at decades. Okay, I hope this isn't a problem out here. Okay, so anyway, um, you know, I've had uh, success with paperwork. I've also taken a few arrows in my back and I came to the realization that it's really what you own on the inner level. And my experience uh, became almost bulletproof uh, when I carried that resonance with me of understanding who I am and the fact that these people that uh, I had formerly carried a lot of emotions about, you know, different agencies and so forth, forth, everything from fear to anger. When I lost that, then things just went a lot better. And they went a lot better because I realized that, you know, we are the creditors in truth. And when, of course, we know how to uh, rebut the presumptions of different agencies by way of contracts we have unknowingly signed, um, you know, we can uh, play that paperwork game, but at the same time, really treat them honorably, uh, not as the enemy. And uh, we find that solution, uh, you know, often comes. Now, a lot of folks that attended this weekend, uh, you know, are maybe a little bit very educated audience, but a lot of them hadn't had as many years of experience. So they were still attending a lot of workshops, you know, with different uh, people providing PMAs or trust. And of course, everybody has a different opinion as far as what you have to have and in, in order to make yourself safe and prosperous. But what we learned uh, and what really sunk in on a deep, deep level, because this was more of an experiential workshop uh, was that it's all about the resonance that we carry, um, the ability to sit back and say, okay, ask ourselves, what am I trying to achieve? Why am I trying to achieve it? And then understanding the basics of paperwork to make that reflect our intentions. So Marsha Ann did a brilliant wrap up on the last afternoon where the paperwork became extremely simple. It wasn't about going into the intricacies of any particular document or procedure. It was all about understanding who we are, uh, getting clear about our intentions, and then knowing the basics of different structures, no uh, better or worse kind of structure, but knowing enough to uh, 
complex, the right types of structures in a way that is going to work for us. And, you know, a, a few uh, months ago, I was in a, a group with Marshan and some other individuals that I've been with a long time where we, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, did some pretty hairball things as far as challenging different agencies and, you know, having some experiences around that. And uh, in this recent uh, workshop, uh, there is also um, a very brilliant um, lawyer uh, that was involved with us. And as I was uh, projecting the sorts of things I needed for my affairs, he just looked at me square in the eye after he let me talk for a while. And he said, well, what do you want to do? And so together with uh, Marsha Ann, um, you know, they kind of got me refocused in that direction. And then uh, between, you know, a, a lawyer that knows the game from that level and Marsha Ann with her experience uh, of decades of uh, dealing with the system and also from a perspective of tr um, natural law, uh, we came up with some really good solutions. And a lot of this weekend was about getting people on that same page and going a next, uh, the next level. So Mike, go ahead and comment and maybe we can also talk about how we started out on Friday night. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to, to take in from what you just said and really understanding this concept of resonance and knowing who we are and where we come from first and foremost, we have to know that before we know where we wanna go. And one thing we'll talk about today is this idea of a bridge. A bridge basically taking us from where we are, which is mostly, and this is another thing we'll talk about today, the body politic, right? We'll define what that is in the fiction and how most have been ingrained in this concept of the fiction and have been separated from their true reality, from their true self, which is the I am. And having the, um, the knowledge and awareness to build that bridge to take you from the out of the body politic, which is the fiction, which is the living dead, which is all the corporate, all the stuff we've talked about for years. That's embodying everything that you think that most people think is real the bridge to the actual reality, which is the resonance of the I am, which is what we'd call being in the private, which is called living as a real man or woman. And to do that, we, there's, a, there's an understanding first and foremost of what that resonance is. And as Marsha and uh, what we really stated a lot, right, is this idea of substance over form. And understanding what that means is imperative to even start to talk about or think about paperwork. But before we get to all that, we need to understand how that body politic functions, right? What is the form of that body politic so we know where we're coming from? Because unfortunately, most people have a birth certificate. Most people um, have uh, their reality based within the corporate framework. And so we started Friday with... Um, a meet and greet, which was phenomenal. And of course, Ron Gibson, who is a master mind of knowing about uh, not only American history, but the constitution, which I want to touch a lot on today, 
uh, bear because I think there's a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding of what the Constitution is. And the Constitution is essentially part of that body politic. That's not to say there aren't elements of it that we can't use uh, to help us on that bridge, but that Constitution, we the people, the United States of America was essentially what I call a bond, a bonding us into a corporate, into the body politic. The, the, the framework of the Constitution and those who created the Constitution had no right to say we the people, right? Um, and they also created the, the corporation of the United States of America, not the United States for America or just the United States, which is the union. We can get into all that because that is fascinating history and that will lead to some other elements I'd love to talk today, like the 13th Amendment, the, the false 13th Amendment, 14th Amendment, the uh, Organic Act of 1871 that created Washington, D.C. All of that stuff is it's great history to know. However, what we're going to take from today is that all of that is still just the body politic. So, but it was great starting with Ron because he did provide a wonderful foundation for, and Marcia stressed this a lot, is being on the land, being grounded on the land. And of course, he's the land patent king. So this is a very pragmatic, practical way to start. And I think one of my one of my biggest takeaways with Ron is he stresses that freedom is not free. There is always a price to freedom. There's that famous uh, Thomas Jefferson quote, right? Bear that freedom isn't free. They're um, essentially, and this is, I'm totally destroying this quote, but essentially, um, oh gosh, what is it? That essentially we will, in order to be free, we must be vigilant in our constant awareness of the sacrifices and the effort it takes to stay free. Um, and so Ron is was such an eloquent speaker with relaying his experience in Vietnam War and everything he's seen in his own life in terms of what freedom is and how we actually maintain the freedom. But tying that to the land is of course essential. And so the land patent process is a step towards, on this bridge, if you will, towards the ultimate sort of expression of being in line with our I am. Does yeah. that make sense, Bear? Absolutely. Uh, the land patent process, you know, it was nice because this was a very intimate group how many were there? Maybe 25 of us or so. And yep. the setting was great. You know, we we're looking out at the, the mountains and the treetops and, you know, out, uh, out the windows where we staged the, the classroom in our river guest house there. So it was very comfy and uh, really nice, you know, just ambiance, you know, for learning. And since we we're talking a lot about natural law, just being surrounded by nature, being completely off grid you know, it, it really added uh, an element, you know, much, so much nicer than typical conferences where you meet in some hotel in some city where you fly in on an airplane. So uh, you, you just couldn't beat the surroundings. And within our conference, um, you know, because it was private, we were all able to ask questions of Ron. And a lot of us, you know, are, are well-schooled, so we have legitimate questions as far as the legitimacy of the land patent, uh, if it's really necessary. And I know there's some well-known gurus out there that say no, uh, but Ron was able to entertain those questions. Again, that doesn't mean that a land patent is for everybody or something everybody should do. But as far as the legitimacy of that process itself, it's unquestionable that it's legit. And uh, we also talked about um, 
ownership of land. And a lot of us really don't believe in the ownership of land, but we all agree that as our titles have been clouded by warranty deeds in that uh, unknowingly have brought the state into a co-ownership of our land so they can tell us what to do and take it away whenever they want, it's nice to get rid of those deeds so that we can be responsible stewards and not have to answer to anybody else because these people that have stolen the land and arguably stole it through treaties and conquests in the past to get the original titles, but then of course enslave us just the same by clouding the titles with deeds. At least if we get rid of the deeds and go back to those original titles, you know, then we can act more encumbered and prosper on our own land and become good stewards. And it's also might be interesting to note that Ron is a you know full-blooded Native American. So these concepts are not lost on him, but he emphasizes that this country, and regardless of its history, and every country without exception, every people without exception have a mixed past, you know, where we're all on this plane together, uh, learning uh, through experience. And uh, the fact remains that this country has more wonderful things and a foundation that is conducive to world peace more than any other place on the planet historically. So it's very important that we return to the land get our land back. The land patent process is one such way to do that. And, you know, instead of, like I said in the class, instead of being lost at sea, you know, this is one of the ways where we can return to be sovereigns on our own land. Now, the Constitution, I'll just say a quick uh, word about that, Mike. A Constitution is created by constitutors. A constitutor is somebody who abrogates the debt of one party and places it to another. Now, after the Revolutionary War, when we thought we won the war, which that's a different story because the British had no intentions of conceding, uh, you know, for proof of that, just look at the War of 1812, where they returned when we tried to get rid of their first attempt at a national bank and they just burnt Washington DC to the ground and then rebuilt it according to occult symbolism, <laughs> you know, in order to uh, control us there forever. They had no intentions of, uh, you know, conceding defeat from the start. Okay, different story. Now, the Rothschild banking family, who we will talk about a little bit when we get into silent weapons for quiet wars, because that's how we started this conference as a context to work from. Um, the Rothschilds funded both sides of the war, uh, the British army and the colonists. Now the colonists got the money from the Rothschilds by way of France Lafayette, but we're still indebted to the Bank of England. Now, when the war was allegedly over, then we were stuck with the debt. Now, the founding fathers, uh, and a lot of people have really pointed fingers at George Washington and those parties and saying that they scammed us. No, they were doing the best they could do under the circumstances, and they actually saved our ass up to that point, and they were just trying to create a new nation for us. Now, um, 
when they went to the colonists and said, hey, will you be sureties for this debt that we owe the Bank of England? Uh, the colonists said, go pack it. And so what they did is they created the constitution in order to create a corporation that could do business on an international level so that we could thrive as a country. Now, the folks that put us in bankruptcy receivership, the Bank of England, they said, uh, you've got seven years to make good on this debt. Because that's what it goes to as far as international law and uh, countries and large corporations. It's not seven years, it's 70 years. Now, the first 70 years went by, uh, we didn't make good on it. So now we had to put up another surety for the next 70 years because you get three attempts at this. Uh, so the second 70 years, the Bank of England demanded the lands of the South for the surety on the debt for the next seven years. And of course, that led to the war of Northern aggression, which is commonly called the Civil War. Uh, the Southerners back then knew all about it. That's why they resisted. They did not want to give up their lands and nor should they have. And of course, Honest Abe uh, sold the war to the Northern colonies under the pretense of the abolition of slavery. It had nothing to do with slavery in the first place because slavery was all already a failed system. And uh, for a number of factors, uh, the small, small, small percentage of the South and even the North that did operate their plantations on slavery found that it wasn't really an efficient system. They were finding better ways. And plus they were just on a moral level saying, hey, this isn't right. So it was already done for as far as slavery. But again, it was sold that the evil Southerners were not giving it up. And so we need to go free the slaves. And uh, again, the Southerners knew about it. Now the next seven years passed and we all know what happened in the Civil War, of course. Uh, you know, by conquest, we took the lands, put it up for surety to the Bank of England, so they would eventually own that, which they think they do to this day. The next 70 years brought us to a very uh, infamous period of our history, which leads up to the Great Depression. And the Great Depression, of course, was preceded by the establishment of the third and final attempt of establishing a national bank on our soil, which was the Federal Reserve System in 1913. And as a shot across the bow, uh, when we, when certain members of Congress were actually trying to stand up uh, to this national banking system, even though most of Congress was already corrupted, uh, they created, engineered a depression in order to show us who's boss and that they were really in charge. That leads up to 1935, House Joint Resolution 192, where they took us off the gold standard. That's another whole huge discussion. And we are suffering the consequences of that to this day. But I think, what was it in 1999? This, the, the third period of bankruptcy was over. And we were at that point free. We were out of bankruptcy. Of course, we've always been free, but we'll say US Inc. was free and no longer needed to enslave us. But uh, we all recontracted through ignorance 
And a lot of us to this day have been shouting from the rooftops what's going on, how we've all been scammed. And the message is finally taking hold. And that's what all of this uh, workshop this weekend was about, which is understanding that we are not fictions. We are not beholden by any contracts once we realize we've been defrauded and that we can live in the private where we belong. And if the public entities, corporations, uh, corporate fictions want to live in that world, that's their business, but leave us out of it. Yeah. And another note on that ties us all together is this concept of debt, right? And of course, you had the, the framers of the Constitution, you had the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. And it's funny that a lot of the Southerners were the Anti-Federalists. They were the ones that were wanted to pay off the debt right away and get out of the debt with the Bank of England so that we could be solvent and move forward. And that would be more painful. But then you had like Alexander Hamilton, who was essentially like an early Keynesian in many ways, who saw the, he of course was essentially a, a loyalist to the crown really, and saw and tried to sell the people the, the importance of debt and having a centralized bank. And that's what would uh, stimulate the economy. So this whole thing, all of this, you know, these 70 years of debt and everything is all related to the, the slavery, the enslavement to debt to uh, basically uh, further demean and detract our ability to properly um, live in our I am. And so it's a, a lot of trickery when you look at it over the years, and it's still happening today. Um, but yeah, you have, um, of course, uh, a lot of uh, individuals like Patrick Henry, Thomas Jefferson, and this, and they're all in the South, and that led to the Civil War. They were always, of course, trying to educate folks and the American people about this. And then you had the others that were sort of the loyalists um, and uh, or were always kind of working with the crown. And yes, many of them were Masons. This is true. Uh, that were uh, essentially always trying to sell us a false bill of goods. And then, of course, with Lincoln, yes, it is interesting. Um, I've been studying Lincoln more and more that he did kind of sell us down the path towards uh, uh, this, uh, you know, the Civil War with uh, this the slavery with the Bank of England. But he, he did also issue the greenbacks, right? And I think he went against his own contract with with the uh, body politic, and then he was taken out because of that. And that supposedly is, uh, was Kennedy as well. So anytime that a, and you know, of course, the whole idea of a president, the anti-federalists, when they were putting, had the, um, <clears throat> the original in uh, Philadelphia, or excuse me, in Virginia, where they were ratifying the constitution, the anti-federalists like Patrick Henry were railing against the idea of having a president because that would just be another king. And of course, the idea of the presidency, uh, look at it now, essentially it is ruled by fiat, ruled by, it's a kingship uh, that is directly connected to the Vatican, which we can touch on, and how that has been used to subjugate the American people in the union since day one. Um, but when the king, with that president, goes against that contract, what happens? They kill him. And we've had many assassinations for whenever that happens. So the history uh, is phenomenal. And of course, it's all been rewritten. And in the American, uh, in the public uh, dumb system, they teach us completely different stuff. But uh, it is fascinating when we look at the real history and how it all relates. I personally believe in debt versus not debt, 
public versus private. And it's been a continue. There have been a lot of real patriots in this union that have tried to awaken people like the Patrick Henry's, like the Thomas Jefferson's uh, to this reality. So, um, but bear exciting times, which we'll touch on towards the end that I think we're finally all figuring this out. And there are solutions that are happening on a worldwide scale to finally end this nonsense that goes way back to the Vatican and all that. So, absolutely, yeah. And, um, you know, we'll touch on the I am more at the end. And for those of you that think it's some kind of religious, spiritualistic, Luciferian concept, uh, you know, we will talk about the science of those two words, because that's what our uh, gathering was, you know, really all about is, you know, really understanding that resonance and that it is a scientific concept. It might uh, surprise most people that this country was supposed to be a monarch, but it was a monarchy based on the Merovingian bloodline. And when it came time for the first president, and I know there's all sorts of stories about many presidents before George Washington, and that's an interesting story too. But uh, Prince Bonnie Charles of Scotland was the Merovingian bloodline that was next in line because they wanted a monarchy based on this blood, uh, you know, that emanates, you, you could uh, put some, um, uh, you know, some notable uh, like Camelot with, uh, King Arthur, and you know, a lot of that's based on not just mythology, but this is this bloodline that they wanted to carry on in America as a place for light on the planet, because even England at one point was a place of light. But that goes back was, to Mary, right? It goes all the way back to Mary Magdalene. Yeah, yeah, great, great history. So Prince Bonnie Charles was next in line in the bloodline. And he said, I cannot accept the monarchy because I have no heirs. He had no children. And so they needed somebody with heirs. And guess who else was in line for that? Uh, George Washington, who also had no heirs because he was of those bloodlines. Now, he declined, but then that's when they decided to have a republic instead of a monarchy. And uh, George Washington reluctantly accepted the presidency of that first period of the Republic after the uh, Revolutionary War. And as far as Masons and all that, uh, you know, the founding forefathers were deist and uh, also uh, practicing Masons, a lot of them, but the Masonic order was not bad. You, you know, we have to wrap our mind around the fact that anything that has power always starts in the light. And the light will always attract the moths. And so, of course, the Masonic order and every brotherhood, sisterhood, historically has all been infiltrated. Just like within our early patriot groups, uh, we found out that they were all infiltrated. You know, we had agents amongst us the whole time. In fact, some of the people we trusted the most. It's the oldest trick in the book is to, um, you know, infiltrate uh, from within, redirect, you know, control the opposition, and even uh, redirect the opposition right off the cliff. So that goes on to this day, of course, we all know that. Um, so Mike, maybe we could start off with uh, how Marcia started us off this weekend, which was by a discussion with Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars, and I created 
just a very brief PowerPoint presentation for that, just so we could highlight some points. Now, that's a document that's uh, it's been argued, you know, is it authentic or not? Uh, I believe it has been authenticated. On the other hand, it really doesn't matter because everything that is in that document has come true already. So uh, if you want to look at authenticity by way of is it telling the truth? Absolutely. And it looks like that document actually came from the sources it was purported to come from in the first place. So maybe we could start and that, there. And, and I that, just went up to a certain point of the economic formula and then stopped after that because we could do several episodes on it. I just wanted to make some points so that people understand where we started from in our conference. And supposedly this was like uh, the foundational strategy of the first Bilderberg meeting, yes. right? In the 1940s, which came out of, of course, World War II, which was of course created, World War II served a very important um, part in the whole moving the world to more and more in the body politic. Um, but this was the modernization of essentially like the sesqui, I always say that wrong. Um, the, the yes, <laughs> the, the yes, um, which was, of course, bonding us into in servitude to the corporation because we are uh, the uh, living dead, if you will. So this was modernizing this into a technological construct um, that we are all commodities. Uh, so I will go ahead and screen share this, Bear. Sure. Okay. And I'll um, I'll read just in summary. We won't dwell on this too long. And then, of course, Michael, just hop in with any comments you have because you have a great background and um, understanding where the new economy is going to take us in contrast to this formula for subjugation. Yeah, give me a second. I got a new computer and it's making me put in my uh, DNA real quick to do screen share. One second. Unbelievable. <laughs> you have to pee in a cup or something? Yep, got to pee in a cup and send it to Apple. Um, wow, it will not be able to record the contents of your screen until it is quit. Quit and reopen. Nope, we don't want to quit and reopen. Um, that's a bummer. Sorry, uh, Bear, is there any way you could do a screen share? Wow. Um, let's see. Uh, this possibly. is unbelievable. I guess okay. I should have tested this beforehand, but no yeah, problem. Let me see if I can get it up here. Uh, I had it on my laptop. I'm on a different computer. I I'll let you entertain the folks while I find yeah. that. It won't take too long. So the interesting idea of this, what we're going into, is this: the use of technology to essentially track and trace every single commercial interaction of every single person on the planet or in the realm. And keep in mind, this was being devised in the 1940s when the transistor was just coming into creation, the ability for uh, computing to actually start to do this. Now, there are people who have... Um, postulated that we have had a quantum sort of computing mechanism that has been tracking and tracing humanity for thousands of years. And whether they're hacking the Akashic or whatnot, um, that is left to be discovered. But there are people who have been saying this has been done for 
hundreds, if not thousands of years. And there's the whole idea of the Vatican where they, every single person that's born is um, basically you're uh, a bit of the placenta and the blood and everything is sent to the Vatican and you're indexed there and with your birth certificate. And that is what is providing the value behind the indebted system of all the monetary system. Uh, right. Um, and so there's a lot we can touch on there, but with silent weapons for quiet war, the idea was they were going to modernize this through advanced computing. And of course, now fast forward to today, thanks to, well, not thanks to, but due to the reality of Moore's law and some of these other computing laws where essentially Moore's law just states that the computational um, a capacity of a capacitor doubles every year around so. So it's an exponential growth capacity of computing. So now fast forward today from the 1940s, the capacity for computing due to exponential growth is, you know, and I guess I, I used to say going from the sun and back a thousand times. Now, I don't know how far the sun is now. So that maybe that analogy doesn't work. But if you understand exponential growth, um, your mind gets blown with understanding that this is 60 or whatever years later of exponential growth of computing power. Now there are people that say not only do they have every single instance of everything you do um, recorded, but they've actually put that into a simulacrum of sort, a holographic sort of simulation where you have an avatar where they're running game theory models. Uh, and under, to understand uh, through shock, we'll get into this too, Barry, through the silent weapons shock testing, um, uh, where they use it, they run, uh, for instance, an operation like the CV crown operation to shock test the world so that, um, that they can then um, see what all the reactions will be with your avatar. Okay, I'll fix that, Bear, one second. Okay, you should be able to share screen. So this is, keep in mind, the framework of what we're gonna go through right now is from like literally the 40s. I believe it was dis discovered, uh, I think we made it, might've been updated in the 70s, but then it was discovered in an IBM uh, printer or copier that was purchased by uh, in the 19, early 1980s and it was accidentally left in there. Uh, um, so anyways, can you share now, Eric? I'm working on it. Okay. Uh, and so Marsha uses this as just a framework so that we understand what the would-be, want-to-be controllers uh, are, are think they can use to essentially create their one world order or whatever they're trying to do. But the irony of all this is that this actually shows us how powerful we truly are and how weak they truly are, because they basically um, must rely upon pure materialism for this to work. And of course, due to the science of resonance and the I am, um, we can easily, easily mess up their, their plans with literally within an instant. Um, so anyways, uh, Bear is still working on the screen share. You have access to do it. It just now. has me open up system preferences. We went through this one other time. Oh, it might make you reset Zoom. How about if I just read? Yeah. What we can do is actually 
Um, we'll, we'll provide this PDF as a supplement for those watching later that can then um, download it. And I'll make sure I'll put a link to uh, a downloadable link on the show notes below. A lot of people listen to this podcast anyways, so that's fine. Okay. So uh, we'll open up Silent Weapons and subtitled, I have The Transmutation of War. So I'm going to read here and Mike, you jump in with comments, okay? Okay. Um, let me just try. I might have just been able to do the share screen now. So let me oh, just try awesome. something. Yeah. Um, oh. Boom. It uh it kicked in. Oh, sweet. Okay. So can you do you see it on your end, Bear? I do. Okay, great. We're more together than we thought. Well, that gave me some space to give some context here for the folks who are new to all this. Perfect. So the doctrine adopted by the policy committee of the Bilderberg Group during its first known meeting in 1954. This is where this document emanates. The control of the masses through manipulation of industry, people's pastimes, education, and political leanings. It called for a quiet revolution, putting, bro uh, putting brother against brother and diverting the public's attention from what is really going on. So that's the intention of this entire, it's actually a mathematical formula, and we delved pretty deep into it over the weekend, although we won't have time to do that today. A quiet war using subjective biological warfare. Now, that should have some extra meaning. We'll talk in code here for the morons at YouTube. And, um, you know, in light of events of the last couple years, uh, you know, this is really bringing more into light as far as what where they've led us by way of this document so far. So there's three uh, intentions, strategies, and weaponry. The intentions, the elite's solution for world problems. The strategies the worldwide engineering of social control via slavery and genocide, the weaponry, the implementation of social automation systems, silent weapons. The historical origins, operations research, a strategic and tactical methodology developed under military management in England during World War II. The original purpose of operations research was to study the strategic and tactical problems of air and land defense with the objective of effective use of limited military resources against foreign enemies. And guess who the foreign enemies are? Okay. The requirement yeah, and, and Bear, I'd, ahead, love, I'd, I'd love to touch on the foreign enemies uh, stuff too. I, I assume maybe you'll you because that's kind of not in this right here on the silent weapons for or silent weapons for quiet wars, but it's something Marsha talks a lot about. So we'll I assume we'll we'll talk about that after in terms of yeah. Uh, okay. And comment anytime. Sure. The requirements: a high speed speed computerized data processing system 
to race ahead of the society and predict when society would arrive for capitulation. So in other words, built into this whole system was the means to predict very accurately when society was ready for another level of subjugation and the implementation of all the controls when the society at large would then accept them. Because I'll tell you right now, what's going on in the public would not have been accepted for five minutes back, oh, let's just say when I was a kid. People would have revolted in two seconds, but now we are accepting it. And that is because it is being implemented according to their ability to monitor when the population has been sufficiently subdued to do so. Now, let's just look at computer evolution. Uh, we started with relay computers. I did a little bit of that in grad school, you know, where I had to take my dad and go do punch cards and, you know, walk over to the main building and, and you know, run these kind of archaic programs. The electronic computer invented in 1946. Uh, then the next level of evolution was the simplex method of linear programming in 1947. And in 1948, transistors uh, re, um, allowed the reducing of space and power requirements. So with these three inventions under their direction, those in positions of power strongly suspected that it was possible for them to control the whole world with a push of a button. The Rockefeller Foundation made a four-year grant to Harvard College funding the Harvard Economic Research Project for the study of the structure of the American economy. One year later, in 1949, the United States Air Force joined in. And, uh, you know, the Air Force is uh, probably the most sinister arm of the military. They're the folks that are actually behind spraying us like bugs right now in the sky. But another story. So, and, and well, I was just going to say, of course, the, I, I first read this in 2001 with Bill Cooper's famous book, Behold a Pale Horse. He, the first two chapters are essentially this. And then what's interesting is when we're talking about the computing stuff that was needed, where did I believe, and it's been a long time since I read the book and I, I need to read it again, but doesn't he essentially say it was from the like arconic gray aliens or something that we got this technology from, which is interesting. So this ties in sort of uh, uh, an otherworldly sort of demonic Luciferian potentially, depending on what your take is on the alien stuff, the UFO stuff with, um, so, you know, this sort of agenda of using this technology against uh consciousness yes uh interdimensionals and the interdimensionals you know we don't want to um confuse that with the luciferian and i get the the typical connotation of luciferian but actually it was an incarnation in asia long long ago that was grateful uh greatly influent uh influential in the asian culture and what it led to was the practices of seeking out-of-body experience as a way to unify with the divine. And we're going to see that there's some problems with that. Now, uh, when you get into more Western anthroposophical uh, understanding, Rudolf Steiner, of course, introduced us to another interdimensional by the name of Araman, 
who would bring us into the other polar extreme, which is uh, complete materialism and the destruction of any connection with the divine period. So you have these two opposing polarities. And of course, there's certain inner dimensionals that are some working in favor of mankind and some uh, really working against. So within certain communities and different religious uh, communities, I know there's a great propensity to lump everything under certain terminologies with really not understanding what's going on in other dimensions, what's happening historically, and that it's not all synonymous with the devil. It is up to us to come into the middle way, the Tao, uh, what the Nazarene taught us, even what some cultures in Asia taught us, which is the middle way, which is between the two polarity extremes. And we'll talk about that later on. So uh, currency, the key to all activity on earth, the currency, of course, we're talking about electrical terms and it's not lost on anybody at this point, as far as why our monetary systems are called currency, because Current, uh, money is a way to harness our electronics, our innate energy systems, and use them against us. Or, at very least, put certain people in the middleman position so that they can profit off everything we do. Now, natural science, the study of the sources and control of natural energy. Pretty straightforward. Social science. Theoretically expressed as economics is the study of the sources and control of social energy. Natural and social science are both beeping systems, and mathematics is the primary energy science. You broke up which for is, a second. You broke up for a second sure. there. So for those listening on the podcast, natural and social science both are bookkeeping systems. Okay. And it also explains why mathematics has become the primary language of scientism and also, of course, the language of social bookkeeping or economics. Control is maintained if the public can be kept ignorant of the methodology of the bookkeeping. And of course, Marcia Ann went into great detail about the creation of uh, two-sided bookkeeping, where you have debits and credits and how uh, one side is usually stiffed on the rest of us. And then one party, the elites, uh, get to enjoy the credits that are created by us. Okay, number three, science is merely a means to an end. The means is knowledge, the end is control. Four, only one issue remains, who will be the beneficiary? And we talked a lot in our workshop about trust as an extension of natural law. The original trust was between us and our creator and us as a collective of the creator. And that we are the beneficiaries of the trustee, the creator, who allowed us to have the gift of free will to create as we wish. Now, of course, with the artificial middleman 
they have placed themselves in the position of beneficiary, trustee, actually all three positions, which in trust law, including natural law, is breaking the law. You can't do that, but that's in fact what they do. Okay, so want to hit the next yeah. one, Mike? Yeah, and they and we talked a lot about how they can do this and how they get away with that. And really, they're not getting away with anything. That's not how the universal laws work, right? You have the, the universal law of polarity, the universal law of rhythm, for instance. And so when they push against the polarity and essentially try to hack the laws, the creator will, or just the divine system, will balance out in the end. So there's a constant sort of, that's why there's wars, right? That's why all this stuff happens. And they prey upon, of course, the masses own weakness, our own sins, our own, which is just without, without knowledge, with um, our um, folks own willingness to, or sort of our addiction to our own destruction. And so that's why they have the television. They're telling their vision to us or tell live vision so that we uh, essentially contract with them and so that they maintain the polarity because we are going along with them, even if it's through ignorance or weakness or through sloth or avarice or jealousy and all of those, you know, those classic quote unquote sins. And karma is indeed a bitch, as they say. <laughs> all right. Economics. <laughs> Three energy concepts from the science of physical, me physical mechanics are applied. So they just take natural law, mechanical law, physics, and apply it to economics. Sorry, I felt this. I was just gonna say that. I'm gonna name my, I'm I'm gonna name my next female dog Karma. <laughs> Great. So economic capacitance. Uh, we talk about capacitors and everything from ourselves and, and inorganic elements being capacitors in that they collect energy on the ground and relay energy. But they applied this to economics because they understood it's all about currency and stealing energy for themselves. So economic capacitance is capital. Money, stock, inventory, investments in buildings and durables. So these are all the things that we give energy to and that they control. Economic conductance, goods, production flow coefficients. So like in any, um, any system of electronics, energy has to flow. Economic inductance, the services, is the influence of the population of industry on output. So it constantly takes our involvement and our participation. So is the idea with, because this, I, I actually reread this last night and fell asleep to it in the chair. <laughs> it's, it's thick. This is some thick stuff. So the conductance is like the wires, um, right? Is that correct? It's like the wires that conduct the, the energy and then the inductance is sort of the release. It's the loss of energy or not, you know, energy you don't lose energy but it's the release it's the is that right when they say output i'm trying to relate this once again to corn of electric electricity 
Yeah, this is uh, highly simplified and it's also elaborated more in the paper. But if you want to get into a real electrical system, I might use some different terminology. Uh, I might talk about resistance, which is the velocity, the flow, uh, which you might, you know, loosely relate to inductance. The conduct conductance is actually in true electrical terms is the amount of energy. And the capacitance, of course, is the ability to collect and distribute that energy. So if you can, uh, I think I could read, you know, I um, I copied and pasted different parts as they were from the document because yeah. I didn't want to bastardize it too much. I think I could rewrite this a lot better, but I, I oh, you're, you're well, exactly what they're talking about. Because you have the ability to create, and the people that made this are just uh, stealing this or taking these ideas. And of course, you could do better than them. Um, and but <laughs> capacitance, you know, though, is so that's uh, like so. Is that the idea that that is like um, potential? The potential. Uh, that's stored energy. Okay. So, you know, we we work, we produce, and uh, we put our creativity into. Uh, creating money species, stock, inventory, buildings, creating durables, as they say there. So those are all the storehouses of electricity. I would look at, um, if you're really trying to follow the laws of nature, there's a very simple formula that I talk about quite a bit. It's a, a system that I use in testing bodies as far as laboratory means, and then it would extrapolate the chemical findings in people's bodily fluids to energy. And we call that the line of least resistance. So if you were, and, and, and then following that, we would use different means within bioterrain medicine to create an efficient energy flow with little as possible loss of energy, which allows the body to start regenerating and uh, also, if everything was in a perfect line of uh, least resistance, then it would actually create the inability to age at all. That sounds fantastical, but that's absolutely true. And through this equation that I would use in my laboratory medicine, um, you could even prove how the body could not age or have any malady whatsoever if it was in the perfect line of resistance. So if you applied that to society at large, the running of civilizations, economics, technology, you would have all, you would literally create heaven on earth. We would have free energy. We would have all these things that have seemed so elusive, but have been right under our nose all the time. It's beautiful. So next uh, topic here, energy. The controllers looked toward two primary developments, the creation of the maser, which is what's basically making our communication possible right now, which is microwave amplification by stimulated emission of radiation that happened in 1954. So we live in the world of microwaves and of course they've been weaponized against us. Um, we could talk a lot about that. And in fact, we have talked a lot about that. The promise of unlocking unlimited sources of fusion atomic energy from heavy hydrogen. So with the economics and the energy and those uh, factors we just discussed, 
this is what gave the controllers the confidence to achieve what they thought was possible. The consequent availability of unlimited social power was a possibility only decades away. In the interest of future world order, it was decided to privately wage a quiet war against the American public with an ultimate objective of permanently shifting the natural and social energy wealth of the undisciplined and irresponsible many into the hands of the self-disciplined, responsible, and worthy few. In order to implement this objective, it was necessary to create secure and apply a new class of weapons so subtle and sophisticated in their principle of operation and public appearance as to earn for themselves the name silent weapons. Okay, we can move on. You're on mute there, Mike. Okay, yeah, next slide. Okay. So now we get a little bit more into the economics and, and we're almost done here. You know, I purposely kept this short so we could just have a discussion about it. And the famous uh, quote of Mayor Amschel Rothschild, give me control over a nation's currency and I care not who makes its laws. So true. And so, a, an important distinction, an important distinction too, I think a lot of people get lost in the weeds here. Uh, the difference between uh, currency and money, you know, typically they do almost all the same things, except money is an actual store of value, where currency traditionally was based on a fiat or something that could be manipulated and controlled. So it doesn't have the store of value. And that's the trick. That's what the Rothschilds were so good at, is they were able to use funny money, currency to essentially uh, catalyze uh, corporation creation via um, ramping up. So basically tricking people into their currency, giving away the actual goods, the actual hard assets for this month, this currency that's supposed to appreciate in value. And then they essentially devalue the currency and take steal all of this hard assets land um you know actual people's creations and that's how they've enriched themselves over the over the decades so that's an important um idea to understand currency versus money go ahead bear yeah and of course that's why they had to take us off a standard of intrinsic value because there's no way to insert themselves if we had a means of exchange with that commodity that we could hold in our hands that we all agreed had an intrinsic value, a real tangible asset. So biggest scam in the world. All right, apparent capital as paper inductor. Uh, this is great, apparent capital, so true. Currency deposit loan accounts induce people which we call inductance with people corresponding to a magnetic field into surrendering their real wealth in exchange for a promise of greater wealth instead of real compensation. Second point, just kind of let this stuff sink in. If you want to get pissed off, that is. <laughs> real collateral exchange for a loan of promissory notes issued in greater amount that banks could back with gold as a persuader to show customers. 
created money scarcity to tighten controls and collect collateral through the obligation of contracts. And of course, we're going through another contraction as we speak, and this will probably be the most severe of all historically. Repeated money cycles to ignite wars with controlled availability of currency to determine the victor. Of course, countries like China have been greatly financed in recent times so that they could become the victor and the new military arm for the next phase of their hegemony. Final point, collection of debts guaranteed by economic aid to the enemy of the debtor. So the folks that um, are financed to do the service, to do the biddings of the controllers are given the means to go after the debtor nations, uh, you know, in this case, we see this happening to Russia right now. And, you know, every country has had its turn as far as being victimized by this exact system. Iraq, uh, Libya, Venezuela, we could go on and on. And interestingly, a lot of these countries, in fact, all of them have one common denominator which is they were all resisting becoming part of the International Monetary Fund and wanted to have a sound and independent economy of their own, which is a no-no. Now, Michael, this speaks, this last point, shock testing on what you were talking about, so maybe we can have you elaborate more, but let me just read it. First, created economic shocks interpreted theoretically by computers and psychoeconomic structure of the economy is thus discovered. So with all their computerized technology and everything that we see today, they manipulate us with shocks. In other words, shortages and so forth. Oh, now all of a sudden we have an energy shortage. We have a food shortage. And then they are able to analyze uh, what this means psychologically, uh, physically to the population at large, and then use that against us. Partial differential and difference matrices are discovered that define the family household and make possible its evaluation as an economic industry. Dissipative consumer structure. And finally, the response of the household to future shocks can be predicted and manipulated for a well-regulated society under the control of a sophisticated computer-regulated social energy bookkeeping system. We talked about that a little bit on the first page where it had to do with them having a means to predict when we were ready for the next stage of capitulation to their control. So Mike, any comments? Well, I mean, and keep in mind, this was a, a written, of course, and devised in the 40s, like I said before. So they've been able to really ramp this up due to the uh, exponential growth of computing technology and also, of course, integrating nanotech, integrating um, virtual reality uh, and everything included with what we have come to know now as the Great Reset. Uh, the metaverse, all of that, 
So let's now really see where they're going with this, which is um, we've seen in China already with the social credit system. Well, we're talking way beyond that, way, way, way beyond that. And social engineering to the point where they are, they understand that thoughts are what create the money or the, the energy that is the law. So the more that they can tap into our thoughts preemptively before we even know what we're thinking and engineer us to think into their system, then they know that essentially they have been able to hack free will in almost in a weird way. So they have technology now, and I know this gets conspiratorial, but people, there's a lot of people that say, for instance, in their on their smartphone, not even speaking about something where they get an ad, but thinking about something and they see an ad pop up. Uh, so the question is, have they been able to tie in somehow into the electrical impulse of thought? I don't know. I know there is skull to, there's supposedly, um, you know, air to skull technology where they can, I know this exists, where they can send information and ideas into people's heads. So where have they gotten so far with this technology to um, essentially future shock households with um, all of their messaging. Well, we know it's, it's um, you know, everywhere we look now in terms of the technology uh, of the, the social engineering for the media uh, and the, the apps and everything from the TikToks to the demon flicks and all that. But how far they've gotten in terms on the psycho spiritual side is an interesting question. So that being said, um, also, they do in this document bear, they say the household is an industry unto itself because the household is what is creating the, the future babies, right? The household is a, a manufacturing plant that is actually creating the, um, the core energetic. It's almost think of it as like the Matrix movie where they have the, ba the, the they're, they're farming the humans for the energy. That's basically what this is. They're, the households are, the, they see them as sort of factories for farming new energy, which is then used to create the currency that runs the, the, the fake law, the, the fictional law. So shock testing is obviously uh, quite apparent now when we just went through the whole CV uh, thing. And now, of course, the whole Russia, um, Ukraine theater uh, is another example of shock testing. And of course, um, what they're doing in China, showing what their uh, their reaction right now to different quote unquote viruses is all shock testing. It's all feeder. It's all in the end, the end game is to see how we will react and how much of our power we will give to them. Yeah, and I don't think it stretches the imagination to believe that they are not manipulating us on the subtle planes of electronics. Think for a moment <clears throat> with the advent of what we think of as contemporary science. Everything was predicated on the suppression of authentic science long ago. What the alchemists knew and so forth about the different electrical vectors emanating from the different planes and subplanes of reality, which starts with our own thoughts, filtering down to the astral, the etheric, and so forth, until they precipitate matter here on the ground, precipitate our very bodies. So since these, um, we'll just call them secret societies, we're behind suppressing this information in the first place, 
is it really far-fetched to believe that maybe they kept some of this hidden for their own use? <laughs> and since we now have technologies that are based on the crudest level of electricity, you know, the things that, you know, plug our devices into the walls and so forth, uh, is it really that much of a stretch to believe that there are electronics capable of picking up uh, those vectors from the next etheric plane and so far and, and, and um, you know, also up the ladder there. Of course, they're doing that. And even in conventional media, they give little hints as far as, oh, the next computer that's already developed doesn't even need a keyboard. You just interact with your thoughts. We've got Neuralink. We've got all these things that they're telling us right to our face. So, of course, now, even biblically, they, uh, you know, long ago, I remember catechism and, uh, you know, when I was a kid, uh, they were talking about the final um, battle, they called it Armageddon, uh, would be fought on the mental plane. They knew that to control us, they had to harness our thoughts because those are the progenitor forces that the creator allows us to use according to our free will to create as co-creators. So in order to have ultimate control, they have to harness us on that level. And every bit of technology and everything we've talked about today is about just that. And when you see many, many people in our society and around the world that are part of the zombie apocalypse, and I don't know how else to put it, their thoughts are not their own. Absolutely not. And even a lot of the cutouts that are used, uh, you know, um, as alleged positions of power, politicians and so forth, their thoughts are not their own. A lot of them have been intercepted even more so than the general population. And that is why they do unspeakable things. Now, I purposely stopped with this PowerPoint. There's one more slide we can get into in a minute. But I stopped here just with uh, to give the general idea of how this is a well formula and no argument that is exactly what's going on today. But I stopped short of um, sacrificial practices, doing unspeakable things to harness energy by way of, uh, you know, doing these things to children. Um, on and on and on, you know, I didn't want to get really, really dark because I think most of us know that's going on, but this was the beginning of it. Mike, go ahead. You were going to say something. Yeah, no, and I was just going to say, once again, the understanding of the polarity uh, that, yes, this technology is being harnessed for great evil, but on the same tip, we can, when we understand our I, I am, and, and we'll get into this, uh, and understand how the actual real laws work and who we are, we can, of course, use this technology to our benefit when we use it in the private and we use it in the right way. And that's like what Cordell's about. That's what we're, why we're on this alpha cast right now. Um, there, you know, there was a comment here by Sarah Connor that, you know, saying that it is, we should all get off these screens because she appreciates this info, but I'm realizing these videos methodol uh, method, <laughs> method, I can't even say that word right, methodically are part of the issue. 
we got to get back to human to human interactions, destroy these screens. Yes, of course. But we are having human to human interactions because these screens are allowing us in a primordial way, in a sort of simulacrum kind of digital ones and zeros way, reconnect and remind us that yes, psychically we can connect and we don't need these screens in the end. This is once again, part of the bridge the bridge using this technology is a bridge to get there to that final, that greater understanding of who we are, what we are and why we are. And then of course, yes, in the end, the goal is not to have this technology. The goal is to have the superior technology, which is us, the I am, the ability to psychically connect. And, and, and once that happens and we're not there yet, we haven't grown up there yet as a population, as a people, then what are we doing when we're living in a world where we are all psychically connected? They cannot exist anymore because we're living in truth. There's nowhere to hide. Everyone will know everyone's intentions. Everyone is living by the I am at that point. Right. And uh, also biblically, they talked about at the end times, not the end of time, like destruction as we were, have been taught through religions, but the end of time as a concept living in the eternal now there would be no secrets. Uh, every man would be uh, known by his actions. Uh, am I okay with you there, Mike? Yes. Okay, because I froze up a couple times. Should I, now, should I go to the next slide? Sure. And okay. I wanted to bring this home. Uh, you know, in our workshop, we only used this for a short time. We didn't dwell on this whole workshop, but we went into great elaboration as far as how these controls are actually uh, what we can use for the solution because an awareness of this control system, this formula, and we actually did this on the board, uh, you know, uh, a little bit more abstractly with symbols and, and mathematics that we can interject ourselves in this formula through the I am and change the whole thing to our advantage. And that was, uh, you know, set the stage for everything we talked about over the weekend. And um, yeah, you know, I mean, a great I, analogy once again, and we've had Tom Althaus on twice. So I always <laughs> would say this with a with sort of a, a sideline note that, yes, we know the matrix, probably the one that's been delivered to us on screen is a bastardization of the original concept. But it is a good analogy of the Neo seeing the code, understanding that you're in the matrix and then being able to use your his I am is what he did really in the end to completely control the code. So when we look I, at those equations, we can laugh at them and go, oh, those are easily controlled and changed. This is their pathetic way of trying to control us through their limited means. And there's a lot more going on behind the veils than we could possibly understand. And in our get together this last weekend, it was agreed by all the members attending. And there is, uh, let's just say some very special people there. I'd say every single person in attendance was special. And it was uh, uh, very much acknowledged that we had agreed to do this on another level at a different time. Now that might seem a little woo to some people, but that was a fact that was unmistakable to all those, uh, all of uh, those that were there. And we also understood that we were having major, uh, let's just say, breakthroughs, uh, shifts in consciousness, because we were all creating a collective field that was receptive 
to going to the level of owning exactly what we're talking about and going beyond just the abstractions of uh, intellectual discussion. So it was very, very powerful, but we did finish up with um, a way to make our paperwork reflect that and really cut the chase so cut to the chase so that we weren't forever looking for the best trust, the best PMA, the you know whatever, you know, all the things that people are selling out there these days and uh, really understand how to do that efficiently and have it serve our needs and then also have it done in a manner that we can stay in honor uh, to the public if we wish to interface with the public, but then also rightfully keep what's ours in the private. So that's how we finished off. Now, um, I am the solution. This is very simple here, but we really need to wrap our minds around this. If we look at OM, uh, it's been used for centuries the resonance why entire civilizations and groups of people for centuries have uh, uttered that sound om into the ethers because they understood at different times that that resonance created by that sound uh, was actually the recognition of the universal godhead universal resonance whatever you want to call it and very special things happen in those cultures, in those groups of people when they went into those meditative states and uh, created that resonance and uh, directly experienced um, consequences for doing that. Now, in Eastern- That also, uh, that also reminds me, Bear, of book four of the Ringing Cedars series. Um, I, I believe it's book four. Yeah. Where she talks about where Anastasia talks about her forefather and what was it all about? It was the real science. It was the science of imaging and how was that delivered through singing? It was literally the vocalization of imaging to the world, which was the origination, origination of all technology on the plane. And it was that exact concept of speaking and singing out the, um, uh, that resonance is the, pure imaging of the reality so i was just reread that book and it's like all in alignment it was pretty wild right uh yeah amazing books everybody should read those okay so i broke this up into three areas and i categorized it in alchemical terminology and if you look behind me in my lab here i uh engage and apply these same principles when i'm making plant medicine mineral medicine and so forth because when you understand how to combine these three attributes, uh, there is nothing that we can't do. We are unlimited in our creativity. So let's go back to Om as the universal resonance. In Eastern spiritual practices, uh, this uh, was typically utilized uh, through practices of meditation and chanting and other ways, but just as, uh, as an example. Now, alchemically speaking, the Om we could relate to as the mercury. And in alchemical uh, understanding, the mercury is that universal canvas, that spirit that moves through all things. It's the prana, the chi, different terms in different cultures. We're all talking about the same thing. Now, the intention 
uh, of these Asian practices, more from the Eastern part of the world, uh, was out of body unification with the Godhead. You could even call it Luciferian. That doesn't mean it's bad or the devil or anything else, but it was achieving unification uh, by having out of body experiences. But there's uh, an absolute attribute of, um, you know, the elation and the realization of uh, universal creator through those practices. So not bad or evil at all. Now, the next one down is the I am. I am is literally the English translation of Om. And there's a reason why English is used. And even though English has been bastardized into dog Latin, which is, you know, what the royals taught us so that we would be creating their reality instead of ours, there are, there are still very special, um, let's just say, elements to the English language that make it unique. And the I am translation is, uh, you know, if we just ponder that for a moment, go from Om to I am, it is a declaration of the individualization of the creator. So we are announcing the God at our personal coordinate in the universe, in universal consciousness. And we are the only ones within that particular coordinate that can create. That is why we have individualized. What purpose would there be for our embodiment in the first place if that wasn't so? And it is our responsibility through our free will in alignment with universal principles so that we can do no harm to create and to expand consciousness through our particular individual. Alchemically, that would be considered the sulfur or the soul. Now, the soul, again, is understood as the individualization of the creator. And the intention is to experience free will manifestation. So we so far have the mercury and the sulfur. Now we go into the body, which is the third category here, manifestation. Manifestation is free will exercised in alignment with natural law. At least that's what it's supposed to be. Now, are the controllers using silent weapons against humanity in alignment with natural law? Absolutely not, which is why they are going to suffer the most when this realm is brought back into order, which is happening as we speak. So manifestation requires the perfect balance of Eastern, Western spiritual philosophy. Alchemically, the salt or biological body and all physical precipitation are in this particular category. And anthroposophically, uh, Rudolf Steiner was the one that brought us into the understanding of the balance between the two polarities, which he understood as the Christ consciousness. And what we also talked about is the balance between Luciferian and harmonic. Now, the intention is to create heaven on earth. That's why we're here. That's uh, at Alpha Vedic. That's our intention here on the farm is everything we do is to realize that perfection that 
the creator has given us to realize it here in the body, in the salt, by operating in alignment with the universal mercury through the individualization, the sulfur, our soul, and manifesting perfection here on the ground. And there's a nice little decree uh, that, you know, maybe everybody could start speaking into the ethers out loud several times a day, because a decree is an edict spoken through the resonance, resonance of sovereignty. It's different than prayer. It's different than a request. Sovereigns decree. And when a sovereign decrees, it is so. If you believe it, and if you come from that place of understanding that that is your divine birthright, is to decree into the ethers what you wish to create for your life and for your experience. And it has a powerful, powerful effect, no different than ancient cultures that would collectively speak om into the ethers. By the presence and all activities of the sacred fire of the I am presence, evil shall not succeed. When enough of humanity understands the power we each possess and now wishes to become part of a collective to amplify that resonance into the ethers, everything that we've talked about as far as silent or, uh, wars, uh, quiet, uh, silent weapons, quiet wars, will cease to exist literally on the instant. That's simple. It's that simple. So I'm going to be doing more decrees. Thanks for the reminder. I think that was it for the uh, presentation there. Um, Bear might have frozen up. Oh, no, you're good. Um, I hear you. Fantastic. Um, wow. So much to take away from that right there. That last slide, of course, is unto itself an entire alpha cast. Um, but uh, yes, when we finished our workshop, we did all get in a circle and we all decreed I am together. Uh, we vocalized that all together. I am. I am, I am. And it was very powerful, very, very powerful. Um, one of the other takeaways that I remember from the workshop was this idea of um, apocalypse. And the, the actual meaning of uh, apocalypse is disclosure of knowledge and that we in fact are the apocalypse, not some sort of... Um, ethereal dark entity or something that's coming to you know this sort of christian slant um but uh we are the apocalypse i thought that was really cool and that should be a t-shirt <laughs> and isn't it interesting how all these terminologies have taken on negative connotations to again capture our mental plane creation yep the great inversion of all this stuff um, and the other thing that we brought up too, with the understanding of the I am and understanding that the intentionality in the ETH that is put out in, through the ethers, through our own thoughts, supersedes the language. 
because there were people that are, were very knowledgeable about words in this class. For instance, the idea of what a person is. And of course, a person was made into a corporate entity in the Organic Act of, of what is that, 1871, where the crea creation of, of, of Washington, D.C., which, uh, which entailed the um, <clears throat> definition of person as a corporation. But Marsha often would say, I'm talking to the person, talking to the person over the phone at the IRS. And she wasn't saying that I'm talking to the corporations. She's saying the living person, man, and that not to always get so hung up on the words. If we're coming from the proper residence, it's okay. For instance, parent. Yes, a parent is someone who's renting their children to the, their property, their children to um, the corporation to the estate of the U.S. Inc. But we, I catch myself saying parents all the time, and I'm not meaning that. I'm actually intentionally meaning the father or mother. So I, I'd only bring this up is to like give ourselves a little bit of a break and to understand that if we're coming from the right residence and understanding, um, we don't have to always be so concerned about the language because that in itself can be a trap if we're constantly walking on eggshells about every word we're saying. It's good to know and be aware of, of course, but that was an interesting um, sort of take that Marsha has on the language. Yeah, it's all about resonance. What are you feeling? Resonance is, again, what gives electronic vectors the velocity to pop into manifestation. So more than getting caught up intellectually on the words, as you say, it's much more important to um, have the proper feeling and awareness behind what we say. And of course, the intention, uh, you know, our heart dictates the, uh, the intentions that we speak. So, um, so much more important. And I think, um, you know, just having gone through universities and, you know, like a lot of us have, we get so caught up in the intellectual. And of course, that's the whole point of scientism. Uh, the university experience is to take us away from the heart into our minds completely so that we live on that one polarity exclusively. Yeah. Your energy, our energy is worth more than any physical material. And our energy is personified, is amplified through our attention. Attention is everything. So that's why before you jump into the paperwork, it's very important to know where your attention needs to go and what your intention is. And that was something we talked a lot about over the weekend. It's not about finding the trust paperwork guru. It's about first and foremost, knowing that what you are, where you're coming from and where you want to go. And then the paperwork will work for you once you have an understanding of this. Um, and one thing that Marsha stressed too, because a lot of people get worried about making mistakes. Well, in commerce, you're okay to make mistakes. Like on that side, you know, you can make mistakes and then you can fix those mistakes. Um, it's the errors that you want to be careful of because the errors are intentional mistakes that the Borg system often does um, to control us. So th that being said, I think a lot of people bear are really get concerned about the paperwork and, and messing it up. But when you're coming from the right residence, that fear quickly goes away, would you not say? 
Yeah, absolutely. And all we're talking about is contracts, which is agreements. And a trust in itself is a an agreement. Uh, you know, the trustee who creates a situation and then on behalf of beneficiaries and and uh, you know the grantor, and then the trustee, of course, has the responsibility to carry out the intention, the will of the grantor, and so forth. So we have agreements, and it's a sacred agreement, and it does follow the the whole. He froze up. He was going to say it follows something. I'm assuming he's saying it follows the whole uh, natural law. Yeah, you, you, and it's, you, you broke up there, Bear, right when you're saying where it follows. Yeah, so it follows the principles of the Holy Trinity, uh, which are, again, you could put it in alchemical terms. You can put it in, you know, like we already did. You can speak of it in many different ways, but we're all saying the same thing. But those agreements internally between those three components are based on contracts. And in the world of contracts, which is, you know, for instance, when you deal with the IRS, nobody has ever gone to jail or had to pay a fine or had their assets frozen because they didn't pay their taxes. It was always 100% of the time for breach of contract. Of course, they don't say it in those words because we'd figure it out a lot sooner. But contracts are only as good as the last contract. And the, the next contract that you decide to change the agreements with will always supersede the last contract. So we can recontract any time we want. And if we find that we did something that wasn't to our best advantage, or maybe in breach of contract, so that we're no longer in honor with the public, then we can simply change that contract to reflect that, no, we are not at war. We are in honor, but we need to and need as uh, to fulfill our fiduciary responsibility to ourselves to make that contract favor our affairs. Why would we do anything else, especially when we know everything that we give to the public is misused and weaponized against us? Yeah. Yeah. And those contracts like the birth certificate in the beginning, uh, you know, we talked a, a bit about status correction and all that. But when you understand that these are just offers that they require consent because this is a free will universe and there must be a meeting of the minds um, that you can, um, through your own um, sort of I am declaration or decree that you do not consent, um, you you can easily move forward without having to go back into the body politic of the fiction and go through all the paperwork processing because you're just once again you're you're back into the same system instead of just exiting it. Um, could you speak a little bit to that because I know there were questions about status correction, secured party creditor, a revocation of election, all of these different um, sort of paperwork processes to you know to get out of that original contract that we didn't even consent to to begin with yeah some of those paperwork uh processes can be valuable but only if they reflect our true status correction which is comprehending i am 
So, for instance, uh, revocation of election to pay, it's within the, you know, the IRS code itself. And they have uh, hidden that, but do make it available within their own code so that we can take advantage of that. So is that a valuable thing? Well, uh, you know, it's their code, not ours. And they had to put that in their code uh, so that they could not be accused of trafficking in slaves. Uh, you know, there's always a remedy in everything they do. They have to provide the remedy for us. Again, otherwise, they could be tried on the international scale of slave trafficking. So they always have to have a loophole for themselves. So can we take advantage of that the more we get to know our system? Absolutely. But the real change of status, you know, we can go to uh, American national state citizen, uh, you know, international ambassador, which is kind of more closer to the IM. But uh, all of those can have value. But unless we own the residence of IM, they're basically worthless. And you will be challenged, not because there's no credence to the paperwork, but just like when you're uh, approaching a wary dog, they feel your resonance, they feel the fear, they can smell it, and they will attack. And that is, you know, the game that we are playing here. And if anybody thinks that the... Um, on the 4th of July, when the Declaration of Independence was signed, do we really believe that those signees were just thinking that they were going to sign the document and be home free? No, they, <laughs> they had balls the size of basketballs to sign that thing, and they had to have the courage and overcome their fear because they knew they would be challenged. They knew that they could lose it all, including their lives. And that's also why St. Germain appeared in the middle of a closed door meeting and said some very famous words to them in order to give them the courage to sign that because most of them weren't ready to do it. It my was they, they knew the price. My entire body right now is tingling and lit up with energy when I'm saying that. Um, very interesting. Um, I think I'm definitely resonating with the power of that. And with Ron Gibson, um, so eloquently uh, explained and read about on the end of Friday, is that many of those signers actually did pay a heavy price, had family members murdered, lost their uh, property, tormented, and their lives, their physical lives destroyed for signing that living document, that natural law living, breathing declaration, that decree. And uh, so once again, it goes back to that idea that freedom is not uh, something that's just free here. Uh, there's a reason why we incarnate into this plane. It is the ultimate test, the spiritual test to know who I am. And uh, uh, that, guys, is worth the price of admission for our... Um, private new platform to just witness Ron Gibson telling these stories about what um, this me really means. Uh, it was really, I think there was a lot of tears, a lot of people welling up on Friday with Ron's stories about what certain people have gone through 
what incarnation spiritual sort of things people have gone through to preserve freedom in this plane. Um, quite, and, quite, and, quite interesting. And throughout the weekend, you know, there's, again, there's very, uh, very notable influencers and people in the audience. And uh, I kind of sat at a vantage point within the class up with Marsha there where I was looking at people's faces just light up one by one and, you know, people tearing up and just seeing the light bulbs come on as we spoke. Uh, there's a lot, lot that went on, um, you know, just really good, tangible, practical information, as well as just very uplifting, um, you know, things that created that resonance for deeper and deeper assimilation. And it's hard to articulate uh, you know, in a podcast exactly went on, but I think uh, when that's up in the member section and you see the testimonials and experience it for yourself, you'll understand more. So um, I think, yeah, I mean, there's so many, so many things we, we didn't even touch on in terms of not only that the problem, you know, like, you know, uh, the, the trading with the enemy act and, War Powers Act and how Marsha really explains that you're an enemy combatant whenever you're resisting and how resistance is just increases more resistance or it's persistence. Resistance is persistence. And so all of these people fighting the system, they're just enemy combatants. And you're going to get what you're what's coming to you when you do that, because they've structured this system in that way be, um, to essentially feed off your own ego and avarice and anger and essentially and those are just natural laws of the way energy works. So when we understand this and we move to the private, we are waving the flag of neutrality. We are essentially living in our resonance of peace and understanding that that isn't the beast system, that IRS agent isn't the beast, that actually, if, if you're living within resonance, and Bear, you told a fantastic story about this, and Marsha had on multiple stories. I mean, Marsha went to jail and prison and never bowed in. And it's not like she used special paperwork to get out. She stood in her firm residence of knowing her I am, and they had to let her out. And she didn't have a driver's license. She didn't have any ID. But that being said, um, angels abound. You tell a story about when you called the IRS and got an angel, right? right. Angels abound because even in what we affectionately have called the B system. It's not the B system. It is just what it is. And when we understand that, we can bridge from that quite easily. Absolutely. And I had uh, my file backs box there, you know, in the house, uh, just as far as a show and tell. And I just told people, hey, these are just souvenirs. And I had every process known to man's for the last, you know, 40 years that I've done, uh, you know, in different um you know, filed in, in, you know, different forms and processes and, and legal notices and, and accessing accounts and all these things that, you know, I see on, uh, you know, on the internet now, everybody's trying to get this or that, or, oh, can I get my trust, you know, and, and, and a lot of stuff I don't even want to mention out loud, but I just said, yep, did it, did it, did it, did it actually succeeded. And some of these things that the gurus are saying, well, if you do this, 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 you know, then you'll be able to get this. And, and my message to everybody was just, don't bother. <laughs> it's, you know, that was for my own amusement and uh, my own learning. And we're a little short of time now. Uh, with what's going on, things are, we're at the exponential speed up point 
of uh, this whole process. However, this is going to play out in the next few months. So if you want to get your affairs in order, uh, get in the right residence, the right frame of mind and feeling, and uh, buy some rice and beans. Yeah, definitely take care of the body, the physical aperture to the spirit uh, and practice. And you remember, it's all mind. It's all spirit. So practice harmlessness in thought, intention, and deed. And it's amazing how everything will give back to you. Now, I made this comment. Someone brought this up, fished this out of the telegram in 2020, July 2020. I have to remember this stuff sometimes. This comment was about the broken technocracy and the enslavement system and how we're all screwed. Kind of. This is what someone was saying in our telegram. And this was my response to them. And I'm pretty proud that I said this back two years ago. Please remember, and we stress this a lot on AlphaCast, if you truly believe we are trapped in some dystopia slave state and have, quote unquote, fear that all freedom is lost, you will manifest health issues in the physical. This is part of the PSYOP and what the real virus is. In my opinion, nothing is monolithic or absolute. We give them power with this outlook. I refuse to accept there is even a thing called a technocracy. That's not even in my jurisdiction as a man. My everyday life celebrates my freedom, and I will not allow any sense of oppression into my reality. Does this stop my physical life from being affected by outside actors? Of course not. And as I choose to research the dark side and stay aware of all their quote-unquote plans, I also laugh them off as the psychotic whims of the disconnected. The soulless ones are pathetic and have no power over me or my family. Even if they come to round us up into a wagon to take us off to death camps, they will have no power over us because my soul is infinite and connected to source through love and the heart. Let's not forget that. If more of humanity could just remember that, those Cretans would be made powerless overnight. Well said, Michael. And I would say that's a great place to wrap. Yes, indeed. Uh, everybody, I hope you got a lot out of this talk, uh, this discussion. Um, we will continue it. It's a lot to cover. Um, really is the path forward. And I cannot wait to have some amazing guests on to go deeper into this. I do think, Bear, we should invite Marsha Ann onto AlphaCast. I think uh, in time, that would be an amazing conversation because she has been doing this for 40 years and we'll really has. Yeah. Uh, and thank you all for that did come out for that weekend. I want to give a special shout out to Will, who actually drove Ron Gibson to, uh, to us on, on Friday and back and then came back again. Shout out to Shannon and Sophia for all their hard work over the weekend. You know, the food was next level. It was all organic, gourmet, vegan, beautiful, light consciousness food. Uh, Bear was manning the, the smoothie bar in the morning. And only he can. Delicious alphabetic smoothies. And then I do want to thank everybody who trekked out to the workshop and who donated their time and energy to be there. And everybody who did all the testimonials, which we will share soon. We love you. Uh, also, we had a great float on Monday. <laughs> it's like a four-hour float down to Smith. Sorry for those who I didn't know it was going to take that long, but it was incredible. And we look forward to doing a lot more of these. Thank you, guys. We love you. Remember to get outside. Get your feet in the dirt. Go grow something. Go on a hike. 
get in get in line with mother nature she is our best teacher and reminds us about our i am on the daily and uh we will see you next week any final words bear i think that wraps it okay guys love you we'll see you next time cheers <laughs>